Tonight's Bible reading comes from John 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. Well, I must say it's a pleasure to be back here, uh, able to bring the word to you this evening. Um, I do actually enjoy bringing God's word and uh, I feel very blessed to be back here. Uh, when people come to pastors, there's many things that they come to us to talk about. And when it comes to doubt, the conversations vary greatly. There's a number of people who talk about the temptations that they have faced and how in the midst of those temptations they have doubted the power of God in their lives to help them overcome those things that have become a real burden in their lives. Some speak about the darkness of being a Christian who is experiencing depression and they have this conflict and trying to understand how they can be depressed if they really did believe in Jesus. And then there's those who will speak about how they've walked away from Jesus and how they haven't been with him for quite a lengthy period of time because of something that has happened in their life, usually something quite traumatic or tragic, which has caused them to question the reality of who God is. And the overarching message seems to come from those who talk about their doubts. And the overarching message is that they feel that they have failed God that their doubts have made them less of a Christian. And I want you to hear very, very clearly, that is a lie. If you believe it, you're believing something that's not from God. And so tonight, we need to make a step and a determination that doubt is going to be something that we are going to talk about as a people of God. We're going to be open about it. We're going to share with each other the doubts that we are suffering so that we can bring this into the light and deal with it the way God always intended us to be. A lot of people struggle with doubt. And I'm sure if we had an honest show of hands around us, all of the hands would be up. I've had my doubts in recent times. And yet, when we have those doubts, it's not so much about the fact that we have the doubt, it's what we actually do with that doubt that really matters. It can be something that grows you in your faith, or it can be something that becomes debilitating. So as we get into this, let's just pause and pray. Father God, 
Our desire is to know you. Our desire is to know your purpose and reason in our lives. And Lord, we're dealing with a subject this evening, which I'm sure is close to many people's hearts. And so we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your word to speak to us, to speak to us as individuals, Lord, where we are right now, so that we can draw closer to you. And so we can deal with this in a way that brings honour and glory to your name. Amen. So I suppose, first and foremost, we've got to consider what it is we're actually talking about this evening. And that is one of those things that when you're in the middle of it, you seem to know exactly what it is that we're talking about. You'd be able to put your finger on it straight away and give a fairly good definition of the doubt that you're experiencing. But when we take that step back, when we're not right in the midst of doubt, we seem to get a little bit confused about what doubt actually is. And doubt is not a lack of assurance. We'll deal with assurance next week. Assurance or lack thereof is more about whether the God we know will accept us. And doubt's very different to that. Doubt's not about whether we are acceptable to God or not, but more about God himself. Is he really there? What is his character really like? And we doubt when we ask questions like that and questions like, does God really exist? Is the Bible really God's word to us? Are the miracles in the Bible really expected to be believed? Is following Jesus really worth it? These are the types of questions we ask when we experience Christian doubt. And the thing is, when I've looked into this, I was very surprised to see that there seems to be agreement with many people about them being three major forms of doubt. And we're going to look at those this evening. The first one is factual doubt. This is doubt that is based on the foundations of our faith. Have we gained enough evidence or established ourselves adequately within our faith in order for us to stand firm and believe? Doubt in this area is about questioning the truthfulness of our faith. Is our faith so firmly established that when the questions about conflicts in Scripture arise, we stand firm? When the very nature of God is questions, the existence of God or the problem of evil in the world, are we able to provide adequate answers and still stand firm in our convictions and our faith so we do not waver? And then there's the questions about biblical history, how the Bible doesn't really line up with history. Of course, that's not true, but that's what people will say. Think about the challenges that come upon us when people question the resurrection. I mean, seriously, is that a historical event that can be proven? And then when it comes to science and the origins of life and things like that, how can we earnestly believe that that points to God? All of these things come under that heading of factual doubt. The second doubt is volitional doubt. And this is primarily about our will. It is recognized in our willingness to believe, to grow in faith, to repent of sin, and to be motivated towards living the Christian life. It concerns that passion or drive or desire to become less and to let Jesus become more. So volitional doubt is evident in a weak or immature faith. The resultant lack of growth, an attitude of self-sufficiency, relying on one's own talents or abilities, and not on God's, all those things indicate volitional doubt. And there's always a lack of repentance. 
And it's this unrepentant attitude that brings separation between the person and God. And I know that that's difficult for you to understand what I'm saying, but you imagine, if you will, say a young lady who is married and she's on fire for God. Her husband's not so on fire for the Lord. And so she decides that her marriage is keeping her from being all she could be for Christ. And so she goes to the pastors and she seeks a way out of her situation because her husband does not honor God. What does God say about marriage? And so if she continues to press in that direction where she wants out of the marriage because this man is not honoring God in supporting her in her ministries and things like that, she is dishonoring God because she is going against God's desires and wishes for marriage. And I'm not picking out a particular sex here. It works the other way with the guys as well. And if she continues in that way, this will become a barrier between her and God. And any ministry she is involved in will slowly fade. And she will continue to experience doubt about God's position in her life and her position with God. And the final one is one that we'll all recognize. It's not Abraham. It's emotional doubt. And this is the most common form of doubt. People come and talk to us about this all the time. And this is the one that on paper should be the easiest to solve. Unfortunately, it's not. It's the most difficult. This is the one that causes the most pain for people. This is the one that people really struggle with. And so this is the doubt that is based on how I feel about things. We have people who come to us as pastors, and I'm sure some have spoken to you as well, and they say that they no longer feel God's presence. And this can come at any time. And this doubt also deals with individual aspects of faith and how individuals respond to it. This is a doubt that often asks those what-if questions. What if we Christians aren't right? What if Christianity isn't true? And the lines blur sometimes between emotional and factual doubt but emotional doubt is identified not by what is being questioned. You'll find people who have emotional doubt won't question the gospel message. They won't question who Jesus Christ is. They'll question more about if all that stuff is actually accurate and correct. So they are the three forms of doubt. Factual, volitional and emotional doubt. And I think the thing that's really amazing for us, when we're in the midst of doubt, when we're struggling with that, we seem to forget everything in Scripture that is related to doubt. And it's repeated again and again through Scripture. Some of the great guys in the Bible doubted. But we seem to forget that. I'm going to look at two tonight, but there's a lot more than two. If you want to see the extent of doubt in the Bible, read the Psalms. It's continually bringing up people's doubt and things like that. So let's look at some biblical doubters, and Abraham's one of them. And we know that um, Abraham's an incredible story. And in Galatians 3, 8 and 9, we're told, And the scripture, foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, If you shall all the nations, oh, sorry, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so that's how we recognize Abraham. Abraham's this great man of faith. God came to him and he gave him this message back in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. is that account of God speaking with Abraham and telling him to leave where he is. Pack your bags. I'm going to give you this other land. 
And I'll make you a great nation. God says Abraham will be a great nation. And all the people of the earth will be blessed as a result of him. And Abraham did it. He packed his bags and he left. And he was on this great journey with God. And then God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son in Genesis 22. And we say, what a great man of faith. How fantastic is that? He was actually going to put to death his son because God told him to. And that seems to be one of the things that we remember about Abraham as well. And so the question is, did Abraham ever doubt? Did Abraham struggle with God's silence? What if in the midst of everything, Abraham believed that God had promised something, but as he prayed and asked God to fulfill what he had promised, there was nothing? Think about this. When we read through Genesis, we come to Genesis 16. And the very last verse of Genesis 16 tells us that Abraham is 86 years old. And this is where he receives the promise that uh, he's going to have this, these kids. And then Genesis 17.1, the, the very next verse in Genesis, how old is Abraham? He's 99. And we have 13 years where God has made this promise and there is nothing, absolutely nothing. So if God was speaking to Abraham, it was certainly nothing significant to record in the book of Genesis. And so I wonder if in the midst of that, Abraham was like, what's going on? Why is God silent? And we don't, can't say for sure that that's what happened and that's why Abraham and Sarah did what they did. But they have this son through Sarah's servant. That wasn't God's plan. And perhaps that happened because Abraham began to doubt. But we know the rest of the story. We know how God did bless Abraham. But the doubts that Abraham did, had do not taint the memory of him. And it's Paul who uses Abraham as an example of faith. It was his doubts and the way he turned back to God that made him stronger. And that's indicated in Romans 4, 20 and 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And as a result, Abraham's faith was strengthened. The next guy we're going to look at is Thomas the fellow that we had the passage of Scripture read about before. And I think when we mention doubt in Christian circles, everyone seems to think doubting Thomas, or a majority of people do anyway. And so he's the most remembered and recognisable person who doubted in Scripture. And of course, he made those incredible declarations when he was told that Jesus had risen from the dead. First and foremost, he says, unless I can see him with my own eyes, that's possibly bad enough. But then he says, unless I can see the holes in his hands and put my finger in there and the cut in his side where the spear was thrust in and put my hand in. I mean, come on, that's pretty gross and pretty out there. But he's making a statement. There is no way I am going to believe this. To cut him a little bit of slack, just remember Thomas is in the middle of incredible loss. He was with Jesus for three years, basically 24-7 for that period of time. 
And the loss he's experienced is a lot like our own when we face massive loss, despair, heartbreak and exceeding sorrow. And Christ sympathises with that. And even though Thomas makes this incredible boast, Jesus turns up. Jesus isn't always going to respond that way, okay? He's not going to appear to you when you cry out to him necessarily. But in this case, he not only appears to Thomas, but he basically says, do it. Here's my hands. Put your finger in there. Here's my side. Thrust your hand in. Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes to make Thomas believe. And I think Jesus already knew Thomas didn't actually need that. That was just a mild rebuke. And then Jesus says to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And we see in this account that even though Thomas did doubt the account that Jesus had been raised from the dead, once he saw Jesus, the risen Christ, he proclaimed in faith, My Lord and my God. And again, from the midst of his doubt, he makes this step where he commits himself afresh to Christ and his faith is strengthened. And in John, that's in John 20, 28, and Jesus commended him for his faith, even though his faith was based on sight. So how do we overcome our doubts? My hope is that in all that we've said tonight and what we will be saying, you realise that doubt in and of itself is not sin. It's what we do with it that really matters. Doubt is something that if we're all honest, we all go through at some time. And that if we as a people of God are willing to talk about it, we'll be able to strengthen each other and spur each other on to greater works, regardless of our doubt. We as a people really do need to protect and value our own. This needs to be a place where each one of us feels safe to be able to share what we're going through with others, the struggles that we are facing. And we should be able to do that without fear of persecution, without fear of being turned out. And we should do it with a belief that together we will grow stronger and we will, as a church, be all that God intends us to be. We're all warm and fuzzy now. I think what we need to do is talk about it. Let's be honest. Doubt is a part of our lives. We live in the now and the not yet. We give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, declaring him as our Lord and Saviour. We're filled with Holy Spirit, but we're not yet perfect. We haven't attained that. And so we've got to live in the now where we struggle against the flesh and blood. We struggle against this sin that so easily entangles us. So we're not going to get it right. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we experience doubt. And we shouldn't be surprised if anyone around us says that they're experiencing doubt. We shouldn't judge them. We shouldn't make any comment on that at all. And Jude 1.22 actually tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. We as a church to have mercy, we as a church are called to have mercy on those. 
And so our attitude should be one of understanding. It should be one where we come alongside those with doubts and talk through them with them. We should be helping them if we can. And if we can't, refer them on to someone else, but definitely pray for them. Always encourage them to speak to someone in the church. And can I say to you, if you're having doubts at the moment, please speak to someone. Speak to me. I would love to talk with you. I'd love to help you work through this. I actually had someone who um, contacted me this week via Facebook Messenger, and they were in the midst of a situation where they doubted anything they did was beneficial for God. This is the most amazing person who is continually talking about Jesus to those she encounters, who is continually putting herself out to love others, who is continually being God to so many people. And I said, are you kidding me? And I named some of the things that I've seen her do. She is a wonderful servant of God. And just parroting back what she's done for others allowed her to see that God has a purpose and a reason for her life. Can I encourage you, if you're having doubts, speak to someone. I've said that. I really want to emphasize that. And if you speak to someone and they don't listen or they palm you off, speak to someone else and don't go back to that person again. They're obviously not of any benefit to you. Let's be people who encourage and uplift each other and strengthen each other in the faith. It's been my experience in my periods of doubt and speaking with others who have experienced doubt. There's when we've opened up to each other in Christ, that we've seen God move. God's done great works when two people have been gathered together talking about something they're struggling with and opening the word and praying together. And you see something happen. You see faith strengthened. You see them wanting to move on for God. And that's what we want to do. And so I encourage you, do not do this on your own. Do not try and get through doubt on your own. Let us be a people who can help you. So don't be embarrassed or scared about it. No one should judge you. If someone is, does end up judging you because of something you say to them about doubt, I really want to hear the, who that person is. We shouldn't be doing that. Some people allow their experience of doubt to grow into something that ends up having this stranglehold upon their life. And we should be wanting to help free them from that. And many arrive at this point because they haven't done the hard work of establishing what they believe. Romans 7.15 tells us that we don't understand our own actions for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. Is that true of us? Do we want to live for Jesus? I mean, do we want to live such a life that we don't sin anymore, that we're so committed to him we know and discern his will perfectly and each and every day we step into every divine appointment he has for us and we get to the end of the day and we go, wow, it was all Jesus. Everywhere I went, everything I did. Is that what you want from your life? I know that's what I want. I just, I just want to live for him. I don't want to have the struggles that I'm facing. But the reality is we do have those struggles, don't we? So I know what I want to do, but the thing I want to do is the thing I don't do. All these other things come in upon me and I struggle with it. And sometimes I do things that I know are dumb. And they're the things that I hate. I believe that most of the people sitting here really want to know God. They want to live for him. They want their lives to be so changed that they're just powering on for him. But I also know that you find it a little difficult. It's not easy. And there's times when the Christian life just seems too hard. And you end up doing the very things that you don't want to do. 
And doubt's one of those things. I don't want to doubt. But we give it power when we think it's something to be ashamed of, something to conceal, something to not confess, something to not put out there. We need to humble ourselves and talk to others. Think about our faith corporately. It has had more opposition and more questions thrown at it in the last two, two and a half thousand years than any other belief or organisation in the world. And you know what? Christ is still building his church. He said he would. His word can be trusted and stood upon. And that means that the questions that you are struggling with right now, the things that are causing your doubt, have possibly been dealt with a thousand times over by other people. And when you look around you in this church, there are possibly people who have gone through the very doubts that you're thinking of, and they could help you because they came up with a way to go through it. When they approached Jesus, he showed them how to move forward in their faith and their life with him. Can I encourage you, at the very least, write down your struggles. When you doubt, write them down. Then look at them. You know, we've got this amazing thing called Google now. For you older people, we'll explain it later. But there's this amazing thing called Google. And, you know, if you... I don't know, I haven't done this, perhaps I should. But if you were to type in something like, what do I do when I doubt because of... You're going to get all these answers. Now, hear me clearly, there are crackpots out there. There's some really crazy people. There's going to be some whacked out ideas. But, you know, if you look down the answers, you're going to find things like Gospel Coalition... You're going to find things like Desiring God. And they're actually organisations that are good Christian organisations. They're going to refer you to passages of Scripture that will encourage you where you are. And work through those issues. But again, talk to someone else about them. Allow them to share Scripture with you. And you know, you know the best person is the guys who were just with Job right at the start of the book of Job. You know, and those guys who came alongside and they just sat down and they didn't say anything. They were just with Job in the midst of his suffering. You know, that's what you should do for your Christian brothers and sisters too. Just sit with them. You don't have to come up with some revolutionary answer for them. Just sit with them, pray with them, share the word together. Not to hit them over the head with it, but just to say, hey, I don't know about you, but I know God doesn't change and this is what it says about God. So let's just be thankful for that. Let's pray about that. Let's encourage each other. Also, as Christians, we are called disciples. Disciples are people who have put disciplines in place that help their faith grow. We need to be committed to reading the word on our own. We need to be committed to praying to our Lord and Saviour continuously. And if you don't have those disciplines in your life, you need to get them in place. Because see, what happens is as you commit to reading the Word and studying things about God, there'll be a topic and a subject that comes up and you go, you know what, I need to establish in my life what I believe about that. And if you research that particular topic, let's look at same-sex marriage. If you decide you're going to look at Scripture and say, well, this is a hot topic recently, Lord, what Scripture actually say about that? And you dig into what Scripture says about marriage and you dig into what Scripture says about those who are same-sex attracted and things like that, you yourself will establish a belief system based around what you have read. I encourage you to get some great commentators as well, to speak to your pastors, to speak to your church leaders also. But it's important that you dig deep and establish what you believe. So when the opposition comes... You can say things like, I appreciate your viewpoint. However, I've looked at scripture and this is where I stand. And I won't be swayed by that. 
we need to stand firm upon our convictions. And it's up to us to ensure that we can do that. There's something else we need to do too. When it comes to doubt, we really need to forgive ourselves. In all the accounts of doubt in Scripture, we see those who continued to pursue God regardless of their faith, uh, sorry, regardless of their doubts, became stronger in their faith. And God wants to do that for each and every one of us. I said before, and it's true, we are called to perfection. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore, sorry, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the call and expectation upon our lives. That's what we should be doing. And our perfection is only possible because Jesus Christ imparts his righteousness upon us. I cannot do anything to attain perfection. It's the work and the finished work that Jesus Christ did upon the cross. He took my sin upon himself. He took my punishment upon himself. And he imparted his righteousness upon me. So when God looks upon me, he sees Jesus. And I had no part in that. That's the first thing you need to believe in your faith. And believe it without a doubt. And in the midst of this, he wants us to be received into glory. He wants us to be able to stand in his presence and be told, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he's willing to do that for me even when I mess up. I've just got to come back to him. I've got to repent. I've got to tell him I'm sorry. And I've got to turn away from those things that lead me away from him. We're still going to have doubts. And we're told that while on this earth, we only see in the mirror dimly. But then we're going to see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And this is the incredible mystery of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't understand why there's certain challenges and that thrown in our path. We don't understand why we continually stumble and fall. We don't understand why God would persevere. Well, I don't understand why he'd persevere with me. But every time I fall down and I get back up, he's there. And he's willing to forgive if I repent and turn to him. And so we don't understand the reasons or purposes of all God is doing in our lives, but God does. He started this relationship with us. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the incredibly ugly. He knows the doubts that you and I have experienced, and he knows what you're experiencing right now, and he knows the doubts that you'll experience into the future. And in the midst of our doubts, in those really difficult times when it all seems dark, there doesn't seem to be any hope, he's there. He will carry you. He continues to shine his light, his love, his mercy and his grace upon you. He never changes. It's another biblical truth. Philippians 1.6 says... And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I do believe that for each and every one of us. He has a plan and a purpose for your life and you are uniquely shaped, uniquely designed that only you can do it. There's no point quitting and palming it off to me. I can't do it the way you would do it. 
And we as a body of Christ will be lacking without you. We need each and every one of you. And so I want us all to be committed to growing in faith. Growing in faith requires that discipline that I spoke about before. And it's those disciplines that help us to overcome our doubt. If you're not doing a quiet time, reading God's word and praying to him, stop kidding yourself that you're going to grow. It's a myth. If you had someone that you were hoping to fall in love with, guy or girl, and you never spoke to them, you never did anything with them, I mean, what's going to happen? They won't even know you exist. And if you expect to have this incredible relationship with God, but you won't read his word and you won't pray, stop kidding yourself. It's not going to happen. You're not going to grow in faith. And can I encourage you? That's the first step. Personal quiet times, reading God's word, praying. I'm a firm believer in life groups. Life groups should be a place where there is genuine growth. It should be a place where you engage with God's word, where you wrestle with God's word, where you love and care for each other. The foundations of your group should be about digging deeper into God's word, genuinely praying and caring for each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on the faith, challenging each other to do things for Christ outside of church and outside of your life group. And can I tell you, if your life group's not that, like that, change it or leave it. If it's just a social group, it's doing absolutely nothing for you. You can do that at the bowls club. Make the decision to build each other up. Put away any critical spirit and look to spur each other on in faith. Guys, we've all experienced doubt. The bottom line tonight is some of us may need to repent. Some of us may have gone down that path where we've allowed those doubts to become something that has separated us from God. And we need to come and we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry for making this more than what it really is. Some of us may be experiencing doubt and we don't know how to deal with it right now. Come and talk to us. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you in the faith. That's what we want to do. Some of you may not know what to do with what you've just heard. You can drag me out and stone me if you like. But I want to pray for you. And I do want to encourage you. Uh, I just want to see people growing faith. I want to see people drawing closer to God. I'd love to pray for you. If you, if you, you know, maybe it's got nothing to do with the message tonight. Maybe it's something else. I, I just love praying for people. So I'm going to close in prayer. You guys are going to come up and sing a song. And then Wazza will possibly say something at the end. But I'll be down the front here. I'm always down the front here after a service. I just want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up in the faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence and love. And, and Lord, it's something we don't understand. You just pour it out upon us so freely. And Lord, I first and foremost want to apologize for taking that for granted so frequently. And Lord, tonight we've spoken about doubt. And Lord, we sometimes get into this cycle of doubt where it's very difficult for us to break out. And again, Lord, I know you've spoken to people who perhaps need to confess that. They need to repent of how they've fed those doubts and they haven't looked to you. They haven't studied your word. They haven't grown in their faith. Lord, will you forgive us? Will you draw us back to your side as I know you so desperately want to do? Help us to think about the prodigal sons, Lord, and how you welcome both of those sons, but it, they rejected you in the end. And Lord, you stand there with arms wide open 
wanting to welcome us back, wanting to forgive us afresh, wanting to draw us closer to you. Lord, in the accounts that we read from the Bible, when those people doubted you, you did, you spoke to them, Lord, and you showed them the error of their ways, but you lifted them up again. Think about Peter as he stepped out of the boat, Lord, and he was walking on the water towards you, and then he doubted. And you said, why did you doubt? You could have done great things. And this is the same guy who denied you because he doubted that he could stand. And yet, Lord, you took him and made him this incredible disciple and apostle and evangelist for you. And so many were one as a result of him committing his life to you. Father, I know in this room there are other Peters, there are other Pauls, and they may have female names. And I just pray you'll do your great work again. In Jesus' name, amen.